Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Liquid Church. Good to see you guys. Can we hear it for Nutley in New Brunswick? Watch it on the big screen. We want to welcome all of you, our sister campuses joining us online. Glad you're here for week two of the series. We are calling Baggage, and uh, this is really about unpacking some of the uh, most common emotional and spiritual burdens that people like you and me kind of carry around in, on life's journey. But these are burdens we're discovering. God never designed you to bear. Um, stuff like anxiety, stuff like addictions, bitterness, depression. It's really not God's desire for you to schlep through life carrying this stuff around because it's really a heavy way to live. And, and God wants to lighten your load in the new year. In fact, Jesus invited everyone. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and what carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So this is about learning to live lighter, and we're tackling these heavy topics and really inviting God to check our baggage for good. Uh, Speaking of which, last week, uh, many of you, I appreciate it, you were very, very honest. You shared on your connection cards, I asked you to write one issue that you know you shouldn't be carrying with you this year on your life's journey. So I'm really grateful for your honesty. As I read through these cards uh, this week, I prayed very specifically for many of your needs. But do you know what the number one most common type of baggage that people were eager to check? Do you know what the number one topic was? Fear. Okay, not just not just fear of like snakes or spiders in the dark. I'm not talking phobias. I mean, fear of like the kind of fear that's like chronic worry or or has an anxious mind. In fact, how many of you you would admit that you have an anxious mind? Okay, you struggle. Wow. Lots of hands up. You struggle at times with worry. Double hands. You have uncertainty in your mind. It just gets racing. You, You can't sleep at night. You have anxiety. One person wrote this. They said, real honest, I need to let go of my fears. Fear of being alone, fear of not having enough money, fear of failing in my career, fear of what other people think. And that's really honest. And you know what? We all have fears. I certainly do. In fact, this may sound kind of silly, but do you know what my biggest fear is? Candidly, dirty little secret, your pastor, roller coasters. I am scared to death. In fact, here's the deal. When I go on a roller coaster, I scream like a little girl. This is, this is the, it's a, yeah, like a high pitch kind of shrieking. I'm not kidding. Uh, this summer, we took our, our, our staff here at the church to Great Adventure. And you know how they snap a picture of you on the roller coaster when you're plumbing down? <laughs> Take a look. You got Pastor Ryan who's shrieking, right, with delight. Lauren is laughing. Look at Pastor Tom. He's screaming, Banzai, right? And I'm about to puke, okay? That's, that about captures it right there. I screamed so loud, I lost my voice for an entire week. I am not kidding. Five days, I actually lost my voice. So I have a fear of coasters. I'm trying to face my fear, and this was a setback. Uh, now that's, again, kind of a you know, funny fear, but the kind of fear is that I want to talk about today, not so much 
Because some of these are really more serious heart issues. Look at what our friend said, right? He said, hey, you know, I have a fear of failure. I have a fear of being alone. I have a fear of, you know, rejection. The truth is we all have these fears, and God wants us to be honest about that. It really does, because that's the first step in helping us to actually check our fears, to acknowledge that there are situations in each of our lives that are overwhelming. And you know what? Naturally cause that kind of anxiety and worry we all experience at times. What I want to do today is this. I want to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus directly addressed this issue of fear head on. Um, As you know, the disciples were not the the bravest bunch of guys in the world. In fact, the disciples were often quite cowardly. They were always worrying about like what other people thought or how are we going to feed all these people? Where are we going to get our next meal from? And in Mark chapter four, they have an experience that really rocks their boat. In fact, quite literally. So what I want to invite you to do, all our campuses, would you take your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter four. This is on page 697. In this encounter, Jesus really shows us how to check our fears for good Even when a crisis comes along, that totally rattles our faith. This is a simple story. And even if you haven't been in church a while, you might be familiar with it. Let's read this. Mark 4, we'll start at verse 35. It says this. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, let us go over to the other side of the lake. They're actually on the Sea of Galilee at this point. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There also were other boats with him. Now look at this, verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly, what's the word? Swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so, what, afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, just stop right here. I'll just quickly ask, how many of you are boat people? All our campuses, hands up if you're a boat people. You like Jersey Shore, okay, kind of thing. All right, this is interesting, okay, because Jesus and the disciples, they set out to cross the Sea of Galilee, which is not a sea. It's not an ocean. It's actually a really large lake. And here's the unique thing about it. It is 700 feet below sea level. In other words, it's surrounded by towering cliffs. So here's what that means. It's a natural wind funnel. Cold air comes rushing down, and when it hits the water, all of a sudden, this little, this, this lake that's completely calm can be suddenly churned up and turn into a surging sea in a matter of moments. And that's exactly what happens when these disciples get into the boat with Jesus. A furious squall. The water becomes angry, comes up. The waves broke over the boat, so it's nearly swamped. Now, sailors have a name for this kind of thing. It is called a rogue wave. Most waves are three to four feet tall, but this one comes along, and it's about 20 feet tall and nearly swamps them. And rogue waves are a sailor's worst nightmare because they come out of nowhere. They defy weather patterns. Again, most waves three to four feet, but a rogue wave is about 20 feet, and it can literally capsize an ocean liner, okay? This is what sailors fear most because they hit completely randomly. And you know what? That's a picture of our life, isn't it? Things can be going along completely smoothly, and suddenly, boom, out of nowhere, something just hits us broadside, and we start taking on water, and all this fear kind of crashes in. You know what? This really, for us, this, this storm gives us a picture of the three sources of fear that Jesus is highlighting. And the first is an unexpected crisis. I mean, that, that's what a rogue wave is. An unexpected crisis in your life that seems to kind of come out of nowhere, and, and it shakes your faith to the very core. For instance, um, you know, your boss calls you in. 
And he closed the door behind you. You're like, what? And he tells you to pack your stuff. And you're like, what the? I've, I've been here 14 years. And he gives you your walking papers. Boom, rogue wave. Or, or, or your boyfriend who you hoped, you know, was going to marry you all of a sudden says, you know what? I need my space. And you're like, oh, bugger. <laughs> you know, kind of. Or, or your spouse of XX years suddenly says, uh, that's it. I'm leaving. That's, that's a rogue wave. The doctor calls you back about the blood work, and he actually says, you know what? It's more serious than we thought. Can you come in? What? All of a sudden, there's an unexpected crisis that strikes fear into the heart of the most seasoned captains. I mean, when we, we know this is a furious squall. We know this was bad in Mark 4, because think about this. The disciples, what did they do for a living? They were what? Fishermen. In other words, they were experienced sailors. They'd been on this lake hundreds, if not thousands of times, and, and, and gone through storms. But this one was different. It's suddenness. Its size caught them off guard. A furious squall came and almost swamped the boat. Last year, the Great Recession, a rogue wave, right? Now, for 100 years, this has that boom out of nowhere. People lose their investments, their savings. They got a hole, you got a hole in your financial boat. We, got a, we need a bailout, right? People lost their jobs, start swimming for their life, and they're still recovering, and many still are. I want you to think for a moment this morning about a rogue wave that potentially has hit you in the past 12 months an unexpected crisis in your life that maybe has left you broadside and kind of rattled your faith in God. I don't have to uh, think hard about this in in my life. Uh, Last week, our family was hit with an unexpected crisis. Uh, My father had been experiencing some pain in his hip. My dad has a high pain threshold, so when he complains, you're like, something's wrong. So much so that my mom called me and said, your father actually can't even get out of bed. It hurts so much. And so we actually called for an ambulance. He went to the ER. They did quick scans, and he has a crack in his hip and a fracture in his pelvis. And we said, that's the oddest thing. Did dad fall or anything? No, and they, they start, began looking at it, and what the source is is his cancer is back. All right? So my dad was diagnosed with lymphoma about 12 years ago, and uh, incredibly, he's been doing actually really well. After his initial treatments, the remission was, was durable, and life for us, the Lucas family, has been very placid for the last decade, smooth, Sailing, thank God. And candidly, we've just been going along and along and along, year after year, 10 years, and then all of a sudden, last week, bam, we get the call, and suddenly things are churned up, and now the lymphoma's back. That's a rogue wave. It's a thing you don't expect, and everything you just think is going to keep going smoothly, and then you're hit, and, and all of a sudden, now this anxiety and this panic began kind of pouring in, and, and our family suddenly had an unexpected crisis on our hands. So you can pray for him um, as we sort through you know, treatment and surgery and other, other options. His name is Dell. But that's what, a, that's what a furious squall is. It kicks up out of nowhere, and all of a sudden creates this churn. All this anxiety and alarm comes pouring in. The waves break over the boat, which is really the second source of fear. Do you see this? Overwhelming circumstances. The waves keep coming. In other words, you get hit over and over and over again, one after another. Someone actually wrote this. I appreciated this honesty. They said, my husband moved out about three months ago, and the kids and I are living in a rental house that is scheduled for a foreclosure. I spent the last two weeks with a realtor looking for another home, but I don't have a job. It seems a stretch someone will rent to us. I've been looking for a job for the past nine months without success. And then she says this, Gloria Gaynor's song keeps playing in my head. I will survive. But as we go through this suffering, pray that I not be, what's the word? Overwhelmed by all these events, but I can courageously uh, be courageous through the chaos and the pain and make godly decisions. That's, that's called overwhelming circumstances. When, when bad news comes in waves, right? First the breakup, then the foreclosure, and now a newly single mom 
can't find a rental because she doesn't have a job, and one after the other, it's overwhelming. Perhaps you can identify with that. You know, it happens in life in these waves, and maybe you've been hit by that in recent weeks or even the past few months, and you look at the chain of events in your life, and you say, I can't handle all this. I mean, one of these maybe, but these things just keep coming. It's like one, one, I'm, I am taken on water fast. You know what? I have limited capacity. That is the third source of fear highlighted in this account. The disciples had a small boat, okay? And they saw this giant wave, and they look at their Pyrenees boat, and maybe you, just like they, you say like, well, this, this thing that I got ain't going to survive that thing coming at me. <laughs> I don't have enough resources to stay afloat. And, and candidly, that's when you start sorting through. See if you can find one of these, right? You're like, I'm going down. If, I, if somebody doesn't preserve my life, it was interesting. After last week's service, I had a guy come forward, and I said, how can I pray for you? You know what he said? He said, Tim, I'm drowning in debt. Those were his exact words. He's drowning in debt, and he's afraid. He's not alone. A lot of people in our church feel over their heads financially. I mean, material need is one of the most common sources of worry and anxiety. If you're, if, if, you're, if you're in debt or you're unemployed, your mind just starts racing. Like, how am I going to make my mortgage? How am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to pay back my loans? That fear is real, and it can be paralyzing because the bills come in one after the next, and you, can, you try to you know, swim for shore, stay above water, but it feels overwhelming. and think, God, I just need a bigger boat. Really? Have you watched the news this week? Was that crazy to see? A Costa Concordia cruise ship Literally, a skyscraper in the sky runs, runs aground in Italy, over 4,000 passengers, and now over 30 dead because of a, a rock, a little bit of showboating. Images like this show, it's not about the size of your boat. Sometimes overconfidence causes us to make actually poor choices, and the results are overwhelming. What's, what's disturbing to me is how the captain of this cruise ship, what did he do? He He panicked. He abandoned ship, right? Because all of a sudden, he's actually under arrest and under investigation because he hits this submerged rock and suddenly this invincible ship has all this water pouring in the hole and he freaked out. That's what fear does. Panic clouded his mind and we respond poorly because it causes doubt in our hearts and we begin to question God. I mean, let's just be honest. What's your natural reaction when you're hit with a rogue wave? I mean, we wonder where God is. Look what the disciples say in verse 38. This is amazing. Teacher, let's say it together. Don't you care if we drown? You can almost hear the panic in their voices. Rogue waves have that effect. They strike fear in our heart because we say, this could be it. This could be the thing that takes me under. And the truth is, when we're hit with a rogue wave, we often assume that God doesn't care. All our doubts kind of come kind of flooding to the surface. Even if you have a strong faith, let's just be honest. When we're hit broadside, with a scary situation, the most natural thing is to kind of say to God, don't you care about me? Why, why, then why aren't you doing anything? I mean, if God is really good and he sees this bad thing happening and he has the power to change it, but he doesn't, why trust him? You know, just being honest, some of you came in this morning and, and, and you're thinking this. You can complete your own sentence. God, don't you care if my marriage falls apart? God, don't you care if I don't find a job? Don't you care if we lose our house? God, don't you care if my kids go off the deep end? Or God, don't you care if we can't have kids? We may know intellectually that God cares. But we're perplexed by his seeming indifference to the rogue wave. I mean, you want a scary question? Where's Jesus at this moment? Look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern doing what? Sleeping on a cushion. This is not the most reassuring verse in Scripture. Okay, 
Let's be, let's be quite, it's quite disturbing, okay? I mean, if you're not a believer, this may be the reason why. Because when a rogue wave hits, right, you get a difficult diagnosis. You see this senseless suffering, and God doesn't do anything. We think he doesn't care, or he's asleep at the switch. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I, you know, I was reading again this week this passage, and I'm, I'm kind of like filling in the gaps. I'm like, I wonder which disciple like, kind of took you know, control of the ship at that point. I'm guessing it was Peter. You know, it's kind of hot-headed, you know, like, all hands on deck, all hands on deck. These guys kind of bailing out the boat, waves pouring over, salt water spray in their face. Where, where's Jesus? I'll go find him, sir. You know, and he goes down and everything. I found Jesus, sir. Where is he? He's down below, sir. What's he doing? He's sleeping, sir. <laughs> He's sleeping on a cushion, sir. <laughs> you know, like, the disciples need one of these, and Jesus is doing this. <laughs> I mean, these are the scary moments in life that make us wonder if God really cares. Is he really going to come through in a time of crisis? Because this wave just rocked their boat and it doesn't seem to bother him. Some of you today, you're facing a scary situation in your life. And you know what? It's natural. But it actually has, maybe has you wondering if God can be counted on to take you through it. Because the truth is, whenever you or I are hit with a rogue wave, we have a choice between faith or fear. We get that choice. Notice, when Jesus wakes up, he's not rattled by the situation. See, when a rogue wave hits our lives, it may have surprised us, but it actually doesn't surprise God. God doesn't look at your situation, and then all of a sudden, be like, oh my goodness, and hit the panic button. Get the Trinity in here. This is a serious situation. <laughs> look, look at the text. It's jumped out at me. Where, where, where are, why are they in this storm? Whose idea was it to go sailing on this lake? Look at verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Jesus... Let us go over to the other side of the lake. Catch this. The trip was Jesus' idea. But he promised one thing. I'm going to go with you on this trip. I'm going to see that you make it across safely. See, a lot of people think, if I have a strong faith, then life should be smooth sailing. That's how we think. If Jesus is in my boat, then God promises me safe you know, and fear-free travels. But the truth is, just because you're a Christ follower does not mean you're exempt from the storms of life. In fact, it's just the opposite. Think about this, okay? You may be in a situation this year that you are, are desperate to get out of, but it's actually exactly where God wants you. He's in the boat with you. Think about this. The disciples were in the storm not because they were out of the will of God, but precisely because they were in the will of God following Jesus' direction. Let's go to the other side, Jesus said. Some of you, though, though, though your boat's getting rocked right now, you are in this storm by God's appointment. And God's giving you a choice between a spirit of faith and a spirit of fear. That's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. He actually said to them, why are you so, what's the word? Afraid. Do you still have no what? Faith. See, when you're hit by a wave and, and you trust Jesus is in the boat. Now, he may, I, I get it. He may be down the low. He may be out of sight. You can't even see him right now. All you see is that big wave coming. You actually have a choice. On the one hand, you could respond with fear, or you could respond with faith. They're really two sides of the same coin, aren't they? Because Jesus is drawing a contrast. I want to show you something. This is amazing here. Think about this. What's the definition of fear? What is fear? Fear is believing what hasn't happened will come true. You get nervous getting on a plane because you're like, this thing may go down. I'm very, very, now this hasn't happened yet or anything, but you're like, this isn't, it grips you. The, com- 
you got, did you hear? The company's downsizing. I know it. I'm next. I'm the one who's next. They're gonna, I'm totally on the pink slip list. The, 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 the cancer is spreading. I'm going to lose my father. Or if he survives, his hip is cracked, he'll never walk again. Now, that hasn't happened. But if I can just be honest with you, my mind, that's, that's where it goes. Because I love my father dearly. So my mind naturally races to include the things that haven't happened yet. And I think, well, what if that comes true? And I said, if that comes true, I, I could never survive. I'd, I could, couldn't live. Fear is believing what hasn't happened will, will come true. Now, I want you to think about this. What's the definition of faith? It's the exact same thing. It's believing what hasn't happened yet will come true. This is an unexpected crisis. It's caught me off guard. But I, I believe, even though I can't see him, that Jesus is in the boat with me. I can't see him right now. All I can see is this wave, and it's intimidating. But I'm actually not going to allow my fears to take me under because I trust him. Let us go over to the other side. He said, I'm going to walk you safely across. He's in the storm with me, and I know at the right time he'll provide exactly what I need because I have faith. I have faith. I have faith. What hasn't happened yet is going to come true. Somehow God's going to use this for good. Somehow, I don't know how, God's going to come through for me. Isn't that interesting? Faith and fear have the exact same definition, and Jesus tells his followers to choose. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I think that's a choice God's inviting some of you to make this morning. How will you respond to your current crisis? Will you choose fear or will you choose a spirit of faith? I, I was talking with a, a couple of single friends who would like to be married. That's, that's, that's their pressure point. And uh, one was saying to me, you know, Tim, I'm not dating right now. And honestly, that has me a little depressed. I get a little frustrated at times by the lack of prospects. Uh, and even though she goes, I, I don't see someone on the horizon right now, though, Tim, I am, like, holding tight. I'm trusting God because I know he's going to bring along Mr. Right in the right time, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling through that. You know, I'm like, that's approaching a season of singleness with a spirit of faith. I believe what hasn't happened yet will come true. God's going to provide. But I've talked with others in the same situation, and they believe what hasn't happened is going to come true. And I say, well, I'm not married. I'm never going to get married. There's nobody out there. I've been alone. I'll always be alone. In fact, I'm going to end up like my Aunt Sylvia. Living in a studio apartment with nine cats. It's going to happen. I know. It's just me. It's my hair. Fear. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm convinced. It's interesting, isn't it? Faith and fear, the two sides of the same coin. And here's the deal, guys. It is hard to get your bearings when you focus on the crisis out there instead of Christ in here. Here's what I mean. Jesus never promises that his children will somehow be exempt from suffering from heartbreaking loss, from disappointment. In fact, in Luke 21, Jesus makes this promise. Take a look at this. He says, they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. Have you ever seen this verse on a bumper sticker? This is, this is not, doesn't move a lot of refrigerator magnets at the Christian bookstore, okay? That's like, all right? What's interesting, though, is Jesus says, but not a hair on your head will perish, and it's like, wait, what, what's, he, what's he talking about? He says, someone's going to put this up, but not a hair on your head will perish. In other words, he's saying, you know what? Faith doesn't mean you're exempt from tragedy, from devastating loss and painful situations. Rogue waves are a part of life, but they test our faith. And in the middle of it, Jesus says, but not a hair on your head will perish. In other words, there's something deeper inside of you that is in the grasp of God's loving control that they can't touch, that the physical circumstances can't touch what's happening on the inside. In other words, it's about the sovereignty of God. If God is in control and he's working all things together for good, then even the seeming circumstances that we can't imagine how this could ever be redeemed, 
God says, they can't touch that. Every hair on your head is numbered. He's acutely aware of your needs. But the way he demonstrates that love and care isn't by smooth sailing, but promising his presence in the middle of the storm. Think of it this way. True faith is not the absence of crisis, but the presence of who? Christ within the crisis. Whenever we're hit with news or a loss, there, there are always two storms that are raging inside. There's the exterior one, your job, your marriage, your kids, your bills, whatever. And then there's the one inside, the fear, the panic, the, 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 the worry, the anxiety, the stress. That's the baggage. And what's interesting is almost all of our prayers are typically for God to address the external stuff. God, you know, heal my illness. God, protect you know, my kids. God, save my job. And you know what? That's fine. Because God says, boldly ask me for whatever you need. I'm a good father. I'll give it to you. It says, Jesus got it. These guys are screaming out of their minds. You know what, Jesus? He doesn't quiet them down. He gets up and he rebukes the wind. He says, quiet, be still. And it was completely calm. And that's a miracle. That, that God can actually calm the physical circumstances around you and come through. But that's not the point of the story. Because that's not where the story ends. Look at the next verse isn't, and the disciples went, whew, that was a close one. And they put on sunblock and sailed to the other side of the lake and resumed their vacation. No. Do you know what emotion the disciples experienced after Christ released his power? More fear. It says, they were what? Terrified. And asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey. In other words, like, if God has the power to control the wind and the waves, what will he do if he gets a hold of me? If, if God can, can harness and control the forces of nature, does he have the power to control the forces of human nature as well, to actually show up in the middle of the most devastating crisis and actually say to your heart, peace, be still, and calm the storm inside. Jesus invites his followers to let go, even in the scariest moments of their life, and trust him to carry you safely through. In John 14, he promises his followers, he says, here's what I promise, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you, and I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled, and what does it say? Say it out loud, church. Do not be afraid. Did you know that's the number one most repeated command throughout the entire Bible? Don't be afraid. No fear, fear not, do not be afraid. It's the number one command. Because what Jesus guarantees is inner peace for his people. Not the world's version of peace where you just take a, a, a pill or just hope that it goes away. Not the absence of crisis, but the presence of Christ within the crisis. Um, when I visited my dad uh, in the hospital last week, it was, it was tough because, you know, I see your father suffering. And candidly, we're praying for his, uh, not just his hip to heal, but we're praying for the lymphoma to go back into remission. And, and, and we're asking and believing God to do that. But candidly, as I spent time with him and my mom, my, my prayers began shifting because I saw my mom and the fear in her heart. And this is her husband of, you know, 50-something years, and she's driving home, and she doesn't drive home alone, and, and you know, and I did my, 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 my prayers just shifted. I said, Lord, would you just somehow descend your peace and blanket her heart and carry her in the palm of your hand through this? You have carried us faithfully for a decade. And it was amazing because, you know, we visited again then later in the week. And to go back, and my mom said, you know what, Tim? She goes, I just got up with the sense today that no matter what happens, 
God has his arm right around me, and he's going to give me just enough for today to meet with the doctors. I was like, thank you, Lord, that you could actually hear <laughs> that modest prayer. I'm afraid. We're afraid. And, and answer that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Those of you who, who struggle with the anxiety or worry, wh- where do you typically focus your prayers? Is it to change the circumstances or actually to change your heart? Because what you focus on, the outer protection or the inner issue actually reveals which way you're leaning, whether it's towards fear, take whatever it takes, just make the storm go away, or faith, whatever it takes, calm the storm in me. I give you control, Lord. I surrender control of this, and I can surrender control my life to you. That is literally the prayer that God guarantees to answer. In Philippians, Paul writes, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, present your request to God. And the what? The peace of God. Notice it doesn't say, and he will magically answer all of them the way you had hoped. That's my version of the Bible. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. According to the Bible, where's the real battle? Is it out there? Uh-uh. It's where? In here and here. The promise is peace in the middle of turmoil. When our boat gets swamped, and we cry out to God, Christ says, I will come in to guard your heart and mind and deliver you safely to the other side. And that looks a lot of different ways. This past uh, week, I had the privilege of uh, visiting at the home of David and Sue Wall, who attend our Morristown campus. Uh, incredible, lovely couple from England. Everything they say sounds smarter. A <laughs> British accent, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Some of you know Sue. Uh, from our last baptism. She was actually the only one who did not go underneath the water. And it's not because she has a fear of water, but uh, we were able to pour the water from a bowl down her forehead because um, uh, some of you have been praying for Sue all along, but she has had a very severe cancer that began about 16 months ago and had metastasized and moved to her brain. And, um, and she wanted to be baptized and give her life to Christ. And she is a brilliant woman, just a brilliant woman. She graduated Cambridge. She's fu- fluent in four languages corporate executive, but more importantly, she is an incredible wife to David and to their two children, Matthew and Hannah, just a beautiful woman. And about 16 months ago, when Sue first learned of her diagnosis, um, she was distraught for about a minute, I think. (laughs) Then she summoned, she said, I'm going to fight this with everything I have because she's a fighter and a battler, and she dug in her heels. And they've been through radiation and chemo and about 26 stitches across her head where they had she had brain surgery. And uh, on Tuesday, I had the privilege of visiting with, with Sue and David in, in their home. And David is one of the most tender um, caretakers. I've ever seen on this earth the way he cared for his wife. I see Jesus more clearly because of you, David. And um, I went to visit them because Sue is at the end of her cancer journey was preparing to go home to be with Jesus. These are not just moments that are like hard as a pastor, but as a human being. Because there's, 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 nothing, there's nothing more for, for the doctors to do and, and Sue is home and surrounded by her family in a, um, in a hospital bed and in the library and praying for her. And candidly, I... When I came to their home, I expected the home to be a little bit um, somber, you know, full of dread because 
That's how things typically go. And there was sadness, of course. Everyone is grief-stricken. We've been praying for Sue's healing by God, for her complete healing. But what was remarkable is I walked in and it was something completely other. It was not a family paralyzed by the fear of death, but it was this home full of faith and alive like with hope. We went in and we're standing around Sue's bed with David and uh, all of a sudden the doorbell rings and, and, and in walk Dan and Debbie Bove and, and, and here they are and, and, they, and then all of a sudden the doorbell rings again and then the McNamara's come in. The doorbell rings again and in about 20 minutes the doorbell rang about six times and suddenly there are 18 people like, David, this, this is overwhelming. He goes, this happens every night. This, it, was, it, was, uh, it was really remarkable. It was unbelievable and suddenly all these people from their life group were in the home and remembering the incredible memories of Sue and talking to her, and she was uh, not responsive at that time. But what was incredible, guys, is everybody kind of crowded in this room, and we gathered hands around her bed, and I don't know how to explain it to you. But there was this overwhelming sense of peace that descended on that house. It was palpable. I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it, but as we prayed for Sue, I looked, and she's wearing this blue T-shirt that she was baptized in, and it says, Forgiven forgiven. She had given her life to Christ last year and said, I surrender. Those were exact words. I surrender Jesus. And this is for a woman who is at the top of her game in control and a beautiful woman. And this idea that Sue is in Christ and being in Christ means nothing can separate you from the love of God in this life and in the life to come. And we're just praying for her, committing her mind, her body, her soul to God. And there was this palpable peace that just went around the room as people prayed. I don't, I don't, it was a holy moment. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was like this, this, it was sacred. On the doorsteps of death, you figure fear would be the major factor, but it, instead it was a room full of faith. And the reason for that, guys, is that Sue is a woman of faith. When she decided to let go of steering her life and actually gave complete control over to Christ, something changed inside of her. The anxiousness, the worry, the fear that you and I could never imagine that must have come with her terrifying diagnosis, it didn't own her. Christ owned her. Christ owns Sue Wall. Christ does own Sue Wall. And she's never been alive than at this moment in his presence. Sue passed away at 4.30 a.m. on the Saturday morning. And I swear to you, I, I can't explain it. But the peace that I have seen, I don't mean like smiley, happy face. There's grief and tremendous sadness. The loss of Sue. But the peace that has blanketed her family, it's just the promise of God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard what? Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Faith is not the absence of crisis, but it's the presence of Christ to the very end. Because Sue got into the boat with Jesus, we know, we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, she is safely on the other side. She is seeing Jesus more clearly right now than any of us can even imagine. She is more alive than she has ever been. We know. Because even life's greatest fear, death, has lost its sting. Because she put her trust in the God her trust in the God who stared down death. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took all our fears, all our flaws on himself, and went down with the ship. 
and he was raised back to life three days later because he trusted the Father to bring good out of evil. And that's why Jesus can promise to give you a peaceful life to anyone who asks. In a very real way, Jesus preserved the life of Sue Wall. In Psalm 119, the psalmist actually prays, he says that. He says, preserve my life according to your word. With, With your word, God, preserve my heart, my mind, my soul. I mean, let me ask you that. Have you trusted Jesus to be your life preserver like Sue did? Because life is, is, is it's more, guys, than just trouble-free, smooth sailing on earth. God says, I want to give you something greater. I can preserve your peace right now, and I can deliver you safely at life's end. Look, I don't know what storm you're facing, what rogue wave has hit you and left you reeling, but this is God's word to you. It's his invitation. He's saying, I want to preserve your life, and I'm waiting for you to call on my name. That's what Sue did. The disciples cried out in fear. They're just freaking out. And Jesus responded with what? Compassion. You have to ask for help. Even though they were afraid, Christ heard their prayers and he preserved it and he preserved Sue's life. He can preserve you. Some of you today, uh, candidly, I know God is going to speak to your storm in a very, very physical way. I I know by faith for some of you, this is the year that you know what? In faith, he's going to heal your body. Some of you, he's going to resurrect your marriage. You see it dead, you can't imagine, but he's going to resurrect that and give you a second chance. He's going to provide you with a better job than the one you had. I believe that. I have faith that's going to happen for some of you. He's going to say, quiet, be still, and the storm's going to calm. Others of you, your exterior storm will rage on. But you know what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to say to your heart, quiet, peace. Fear not, be still. And it will. And you know what? Both will be miracles. Through her cancer, Sue Wall drove, she drew close to Christ, and he, he held her in his arms to the end. Even in her death, her faith was preserved, and now she has eternal life. It's something only Christ can give you. Only Christ can calm your mind and your heart now and forever, and that's the guarantee Jesus makes. So I don't know what storm you're facing today, but you do have a choice. Like the disciples, Jesus asks you to choose. Will you respond with faith or will you choose fear? And you know that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord who gave up his life for us. You gain this peace and you gain this confidence no matter how high the waves get. But you have to ask Christ to be your life preserver and your peacemaker. And that's what I want to give you a chance to do right now. Just to cry out to God, where you are, all our campuses, I want to give us a chance just to pray. Create a little holy moment here. Can we bow our heads? Let's do that right now, okay? All heads bowed. This is between you and God. A moment of decision for some of you. Sue had that moment of decision 16 months ago, and she stepped courageously into that moment, and she never regretted it. Christ was with her, and now she is with Christ. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you right now just for the men and women at all of our campuses. Lord, we come to you um, with hearts that are full of fears and doubts and gaps, God. And yet at the same time, Lord, we want to cast our anxiety on you and bring it to your cross and ask you to save our hearts and to heal our spirit, Father. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and faith and a sound mind.
Lord, I thank you for Sue and David Wall. I thank you for their incredible family, for Matthew and Hannah. Father, we see your son Jesus more clearly because of them. And we celebrate Sue's life as one who is kept safe in the palm of your hand. But Father God, I pray right now for other men and women who have never asked you to save them, Father, that this would be their moment of salvation, Lord Jesus. Speak to them in their heart, Father God. All our heads are bowed. If that's you, you've never asked Christ to be your Savior. You want to do that right now. Would you just shoot your hand up so I can pray for you? I want to pray for you right now. All our camps says, shoot, praise God for you. Shoot your hand up way up high in the back. I see three of you, four, five, six, seven people right over here. You're asking Christ in your life. It's not going to be the same. Shoot them right up. All our campuses, our campus pastors are watching. You just pray with me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Step into my heart. Forgive my sin and give me new life. Father, I pray right now those people who are committing their lives to you would now feel your Holy Spirit, Lord, traveling with them. You have said you'll never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. We call him our Lord and Savior. And all God's people pray together. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.